What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words. So listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. This is A Million Other Choices, and I am, as always, your host, Kim. So I kind of lied last week when I said this week was my season three finale. I'm basically an idiot and I can't read a calendar. It's actually next week. Um, but I haven't started recording that one yet, so I don't know if it's going to be a one-part or a two-part. Anyways, today I have another one of those cases where I can't tell you the name of the victim. And why is that, you ask? Because he was only two years old when he was tortured to death. This is the murder of the toddler known only as A.B. And I don't actually know the best way to tell this story other than to just tell you what happened straightforward and to the point. On the morning of Saturday, September 18th, 2021, a 911 call came in from a man in St. John's, Newfoundland, that the two-year-old boy that he was babysitting had accidentally swallowed a ping-pong ball and was choking. Two police officers were the first to respond to the call, although paramedics and firefighters were also called out to help the boy. One report states that the officers responded only 19 seconds after the call was made. Um, So they would have had to have been right near the house at the time. But that doesn't sound quite right because they would have literally had to have been right outside the house at the time of the call. But they arrived very quickly, I believe is what the point of that is. And court reports say 19 seconds, so I guess we have to go with that. Baby A.B. was found unresponsive with no pulse and was not breathing. Carson, who was the man who called 911, told the officers that the boy had put an orange ping-pong ball into his mouth and had swallowed it. Carson had called 911 as soon as it had happened, and the call had come in just after 10.30 in the morning, and the ambulance arrived at 10.39, taking another minute for the paramedics to reach the boy at 10.40. The officers weren't able to see the ball or feel it in his airway and took turns doing what they could to try and dislodge it without being able to. They had been told that the boy had swallowed the ball, but based on the fact that he wasn't breathing, choking on it seemed much more plausible. Paramedics who arrived just minutes later used a laryngoscope to open his airway where they could see the ball lodged in his airway. They had to use a set of forceps to get the ball out, having particularly difficulty getting it past his clenched teeth, and then perform CPR and continue to do it until they could get him to the hospital in St. John's 
because he was laying in a dimly lit hallway of a rather cramped apartment and they figured it was going to be easier to stabilize him on the go than trying to work in the apartment's limiting conditions. But he was later airlifted to the Children's Hospital in Halifax, which is on the neighboring island of Nova Scotia, but a direct route by air. On the Sunday, the boy, after being declared brain dead, was taken off life support and died. Mum, who we will call Holly because her name is protected under the same publication ban as her son, but was later revealed to be Holly, told police that the previous night was the first night that she had allowed her 22-year-old boyfriend, Carson Bennett, to watch A.B. overnight. But Carson had always been very good with A.B. and she'd never seen any behavior from Carson that would cause her any concern. Holly completely trusted him and felt her son would be safe under his care. But there were a couple of problems with Carson's story. The first issue is that he said he called 911 less than one minute after the boy put the ball into his mouth. He had put the ball in, closed his mouth, and when he took a breath, the ball lodged in his throat. But when officers arrived, only really seconds later, the boy already had no pulse. It would take between 8 and 12 minutes for his heart to have stopped beating. The second problem was that we are talking about a two-year-old. Putting a ping-pong ball in his mouth would have overstretched the mouth and been very uncomfortable, something even the most adventurous and fearless toddler would not probably do voluntarily. Also, there is no way, even if he did that, that he would have been able to close his mouth as Carson said he did. And further, the intake of breath, even a deep breath, wouldn't be enough to actually inhale a ping pong ball. It would have required quite a bit of force to get the ball into the throat. Carson also told a couple of different versions of the story. In one, he actually swallowed the ball and then giggled about it but the ball would have been too big for his little tongue to push it down his own throat, and once lodged in the throat, it would have completely cut off his airway, making giggling or making any kind of sound impossible. Within minutes, with no oxygen to the brain, he would have lost consciousness, and between 7 and 12 minutes, the heart would have stopped beating. And the other problem Carson had was that he was currently on probation. Now, his probation didn't prohibit him from being around children, but it probably should have. Back in 2017, a 19-year-old met and started dating a 16-year-old mom who, by her own admission, was emotionally dependent and the mother of a one-year-old daughter. And the reason he was on probation was that he had tried to kill her. He had pled guilty to aggravated assault and got three years in prison with 36 months of probation, but served about 18 months with the credit for time served while waiting for trial. And how he had tried to kill the one-year-old little girl? Well, when mom got a job at a fast food chain, he started to babysit the little girl. And over the course of five times, the five times that he babysat her, once he suffocated the girl with water. On another occasion, he held his hand over her face until she literally had to be revived. And then one time he stuffed her into a duffel bag, zipped it up to her neck and threw her in a closet then went out for a cigarette. His probation conditions were to have no contact with the victim, her mother, abstain from drugs and submit a DNA sample, and to not own any weapons for 10 years. But kids, they were fine. No mention of contact with children. 
there is actually nothing in Canada's criminal code that makes a judge have to impose those kinds of conditions on assault charges, but they can make any conditional orders like notifying parole officers, you know, letting them know about intimate relationships and contact with children. The law just says that they can't be unreasonable and infringe on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So he was charged with second-degree murder because they didn't think that they could quite prove first-degree, although did feel that he had purposely put himself in a position of being alone with a child, knowing his propensity for violence towards children, but they couldn't prove that he had intended to kill the little boy, and he pled not guilty. His trial was set for early April 2023 under Justice Catherine Gregory and was expected to be a five-week jury trial. But on day one, he changed his plea to guilty. Now, normally when that happens, instead of a trial with witnesses and a jury and all that stuff, the two lawyers give their arguments about aggravating and mitigating circumstances and what they think is reasonable for parole and eligibility periods. An agreed statement of facts is read into court, and this is a document that both sides write where they agree on certain facts being true, and then victim impact statements are read. The judge takes all of that away and comes back with a sentence. But in this case, even though Carson agreed and admitted that he had intentionally put the ball into the boy's mouth and that had only gotten lodged when he tried to remove it and accidentally pushed it further into his throat. So a total of 10 witnesses for both sides testified mostly about what it would have taken to get the ball into a two-year-old's esophagus. So the only disputed fact was how the ball had gotten lodged in the throat. And the prosecutor, Chris Ryan, and defense attorney, David Lutz, called witnesses and argued back and forth over Carson's continually changing statements. One of the witnesses was a pediatric ear, nose, and throat specialist, Dr. Gerald Corston. He testified that it was highly unlikely that a toddler of AB's size would have put a ping-pong ball into his own mouth. Quote, to swallow, you have to close your mouth, end quote. And a ping-pong ball is simply too big for a two-year-old's mouth to close around. Detective Constable Ryan Richardson testified that Carson had made a statement to the police that he had taken a photo of A.B. with the ball in his mouth and laughing and sent it to Holly the night before around dinner time. However, a review of the two cell phones found that there had only been one phone exchange between Carson and Holly around 6 p.m., which showed A.B. eating his dinner. Holly testified that she had never received a picture of her son with a ball in his mouth. The officer that Carson had given the ball to right after A.B. was loaded into the ambulance testified that Carson had told him A.B. had put the ball into his mouth earlier and he had taken it away from him. A.B. had a habit of chewing on things and putting them into his mouth. And he said that the marks that were on the ball were the boy's teeth marks. But an expert later testified that the marks were not caused by a toddler's teeth but he had told another officer that he had handed the boy the ball and he put it into his mouth. When examined by the officer that morning, the ball had two imprints on opposite sides. Now these are the marks that Carson said were teeth marks, but the chain of custody got a bit fuzzy. And the officer says that he had the ball in his possession until he gave it to forensic services. But Holly testified that she had the ball in her possession until she turned it over to David Lutz the defense attorney, who then turned it over to the police. 
So when testifying about the marks, the officer who had first seen the ball the morning of A.B.'s death said that they were now more and deeper marks and now had what he referred to as spidering marks that looked like the ball had been squeezed. But regardless, none of the marks were determined to have been the result of teeth and the defense agreed and never mentioned the marks again. However, it led to additional charges to Carson for attempts to tamper with evidence. And both the defense and prosecutor agreed that Carson had finally admitted that he had intentionally put the ball into the toddler's mouth, causing him discomfort and overstretching of the mouth, which would have been painful, and was done as an act of aggression rather than playfulness. And Lutz for the defense concurred that Carson had told a number of lies and wasn't particularly credible as a witness, saying, quote, Mr. Bennett, in this case, has been his own worst enemy every step of the way. I cannot fight against the lies of concoction because Mr. Bennett knew what he did from the beginning, and maybe this case is going to finally teach him that you can't outsmart the police. The problem with lies, you go back to the boy who cried wolf. He's told so many lies, but by the same token, he's told the same number of truths eventually, and claimed that although he put the ball in A.B.'s mouth, he never pushed the ball down his throat, and it had only gotten wedged accidentally when he realized the boy was struggling and tried to retrieve it, and his efforts to save him inadvertently pushed it further down the trachea. There was no intent to kill the two-year-old. I will be right back after these brief messages. To try and mitigate the sentencing, Lutz referred to a psych report done on Carson that stated that he had a troubled childhood, a history of drug abuse including LSD, cocaine, heroin, bath salts, and Percocet. He had attended rehab five times and had made four suicide attempts in the past. In December of 2020, he had been diagnosed by a psychiatrist with borderline personality disorder and PTSD neither of which qualifies as mental disorders that would absolve any criminal liability, though. Just what I call poor baby factors that Lutz thought could lessen the amount of time before he could apply for parole. But the lead prosecutor, Chris Ryan, said it was a classic case of concocted lies that were detailed, repeated, and precise. Poe counsel said that Carson lacks credibility and that his statements about trying to get the ball out of the boy's mouth were not credible at all. They felt that what had actually had happened was that Carson had forced the ball into the boy's mouth and jammed it with significant force down his small throat. Picture a ping pong ball and a two-year-old and how they can choke on a grape. Then he panicked when the boy stopped breathing and waited to call 911 until it was too late to save him. He had already suffered too much brain damage by that time. They asked for no parole for 22 years, and Lutz concurred that it was probably the appropriate sentence given the circumstances and would not be appealing it. Justice Catherine Gregory said that although the sentence was, quote, at the highest end of a fit sentence, it is a fit sentence, and told Holly that although he would be eligible for parole, it doesn't mean he'll ever get it, and felt confident saying, Carson Bennett will not ever have freedom again because even if he's granted parole, he will always be under the supervision of the parole board. And based on some other cases that I've done and will likely do in the future, we all know how well that promise works out for families of victims. David Lutz told reporters, 
I think it's a safe place for society for 22 years, and it's a safe place for him for 22 years. And before the sentence was officially handed down, the family and friends were able to give victim impact statements. Holly said in part, a big piece of me died that day along with him. Between the stress, guilt, and anger, the constant heartache just becomes too much and I feel like I'm literally dying. I'm struggling to keep my head on straight for my daughter. And the boy's father, who cannot be named to protect the identity of A.B., gave his statement by telling Justice Gregory that A.B. was the missing puzzle piece in his life, and his life has completely fallen apart since his death. He hasn't been able to work and has lost his apartment and car. A.B.'s godmother directed her statement to Carson, who refused to look at her, saying that there were a lot of things that she wanted to say to him, but there were rules around victim impact statements. And if I was able to say what I really wanted to say, I'd be up here for years. I have some enemies that I would wish some horrible things upon, but I would never in a million years wish someone would have to say goodbye to a baby. Now, when she sees students on a school bus, she says she thinks of how her godson will never experience that. And when she thinks of kids enjoying Halloween or Christmas morning, she thinks of how the little boy will never get to feel that joy. Losing him has turned my world dark. It changed me as a person. It has completely and permanently altered the core of my being. I used to be an independent, lively, social woman. Since he was taken from us, my mental health has declined dramatically. In addition to friends and family, six of the first responders gave their own victim impact statements, which is a bit of a first that I've never heard of before. And one of them, a St. John's Fire Department veteran of 25 years, said that the humanity is eroding with these types of crimes and that first responders are leaving their professions because of having to respond and be witness to them. The victimization is broad in these types of crimes. Carson Bennett will be eligible for parole in 2043 at the ripe old age of 46 and looking for a single mom near you. And that was the terrible murder of little A.B. And before I go, let's talk a little bit about child abuse and how it's dealt with here in Canada. Here in Canada, it is considered a crime to assault or threaten or assault anyone, no matter how old they are. And assault has a very broad definition any intentional use of force on another person without their consent. Slapping, shaking, punching, pinching, or any unwanted touching. It is also a crime to unlawfully confine a person, be it by physical force or through fear and intimidation. However, it gets trickier with intentional use of force against a child, because under the law there are times and under circumstances where it is completely lawful to either assault or confine a child such as a teacher that physically restrains a child to keep them safe. Maybe the child is aggressive or about to run into a busy road, and parents, guardians, teachers, etc. will not be found guilty of a criminal offense as long as it falls under the self-defense or defense of necessity clauses. So that would be section 43 of the criminal code, which reads, Every school teacher, parent, or person standing in the place of a parent is justified in using force by way of correction towards a pupil or child, as the case may be, who is under his care, if the force does not exceed what is reasonable under the circumstances and what is considered reasonable. Parents, caregivers, can only use corrective force or physical punishment that is minor or transitory and trifling in nature. For example, spanking or slapping a child hard enough that it leaves a mark or bruise would not be considered transitory or trifling and would not be reasonable. 
Teachers cannot use physical force for physical punishment under any circumstances, and teachers may be permitted to use reasonable force towards a child in appropriate circumstances, such as to remove a child from a classroom. Physical punishment cannot be used on children younger than two years old or older than 12 years old. Physical punishment cannot be used on a child in an anger or in retaliation for something that the child did. Objects such as belts or rulers must never be used on a child, and a child must never be hit, slapped on the face, or the head. Any use of force on a child cannot be degrading, inhumane, or result in harm or the prospect of harm. Physical punishment cannot be used on a child who is incapable of learning from the situation because of a disability or some other factor. The seriousness of the child's misbehavior is not relevant to deciding whether the force used was reasonable. The force used must be minor, no matter what the child did. And anything not under these guidelines is considered not protected under Section 43. So when it comes to sentences for criminal offenses in Canada, Canada has minimum mandatory sentences. I'm sure you've heard me a gabillion times talk about the fact that first-degree murder comes with a minimum mandatory sentence of life with parole after a minimum of 25 years. However, child abuse is not one of the 79 offenses that has a minimum mandatory sentence, except for human trafficking and possession of child pornography. Now, I say had because most of those 79 of the sentences have been dissolved and now up to the discretion of the judges. In 2019, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer wanted to show that he was tough on crime by implementing mandatory minimum sentences of five years for anyone convicted of abusing children, but it was mostly related to sexual abuse charges. He said in a statement, under my leadership, a conservative government will always put the rights of victims ahead of the rights of criminals. We will ensure that anyone who harms or sexually exploits a child will be behind bars where they belong for a very long time. But as of today, there are now only 29 offenses subject to mandatory minimum sentences. And do you want to know what they are? Attempted murder, four years if you do it with a firearm, extended to five years if it's a restricted firearm. If it's your second time you've attempted to murder someone, it's seven years. Impaired driving, first time one year license suspension, second offense 30 days in jail, and increases in 12-month increments. Robbery with a firearm, five years, seven years if you do it twice. Trafficking or carrying illegal drugs will get you one year, unless you're carrying more than three kilograms or found with them near places where children congregate, then it's three years. Kidnapping, if you do it with a firearm, is four years, but five years if it's a restricted firearm. Being a non-parent of a child under 16 will make it five years as well. Doing it twice, that's seven years. Human trafficking is five years, as long as it also involves kidnapping or aggravated assault that causes a person's death or if the kidnapped person is over the age of 18. This one kind of boggles my mind, so I'm going to read it to you again. The minimum sentence for human trafficking will be at least five years if the offense involves kidnapping or aggravated assaults or causing the victim's death, or if the age of the kidnapped person exceeds 18. Use of the firearm while doing any crime is a minimum of one year. You do it twice and it makes it three years. Discharging a weapon to harm anyone will cause five-year sentence if the firearm is, is a restricted one. Repeating the crime will cause seven years of imprisonment. And then the minimum mandatory sentence for the person responsible for a sexual offense carrying a restricted weapon and intending to harm the victim will be five years for the first time and seven years for the second time. And lastly, possession of child porn, 90 days. 
Unless it's a really bad case of possessing lots of porn. And then it's six months. And then life sentence is the minimum sentence for first degree and second degree murder as well. It's committing high treason, which is attempting to overthrow the government. None of this has anything to do with Carson's case, really. But two years for his first offense seems like had it been more like 100 years, he might not have had the chance to kill little A.B. I was never a perfect parent, but somehow I managed to raise them to adulthood without ever shoving a ping pong ball into their mouths to suffocate them. There are a billion great babysitters out there. Just try not to find one that's on probation for violent offenses. And also not just babysitters, but boyfriends and girlfriends in general. We all are deserving of high standards for ourselves and our children and our fur babies all deserve better. I will be back again next week with my season ender. One part or two part. Don't know yet as I'm recording it. In the meantime, do your rate review thing, blah, blah, blah. And as always, thank you so much for listening.